On Wednesday nights, we're studying the book of Genesis, and we are currently ready to consider chapter 31 of the book of Genesis, and we've learned so many lessons about what it means to trust the Lord, what it means to live by faith. And we are currently studying those lessons through the life of Jacob. And as we've considered the life of Jacob and his family, we thank the Lord for the lessons that that we can learn from this, that God uses imperfect vessels to do his will. And those imperfect vessels must learn to yield to him. We see that living by faith is a process. You don't just get saved one day and you automatically know how to live by faith. And you always live by faith once you're saved. No, it's a process. We go through times of failure. We go through times when we have to learn some things the hard way. Sometimes we don't have to, but sometimes that's how we do. But it's so important for us to learn along the way. Even though we are imperfect and make mistakes at times and understand that this walking by faith is a process, we must continue to allow the Holy Spirit to develop this work of faith in us. We can't just stop in this walk, our Christian walk with the Lord, and expect to stay at that level. Either you are going forward with the Lord or you will fall backwards. We've seen it over and over again. And so we must learn to continue to grow, continue to submit to the process of the teaching that God wants to teach us through so many experiences, and some of those experiences are very unpleasant and unwanted. But if we will look to the Lord in those difficult situations, as we find Jacob in a number of difficult situations here, but as he learned to trust the Lord, we see that the Lord uses even those difficult trials, those unwanted circumstances of life. God used those to work in Jacob's life, to develop his faith and to fulfill all the promises that God had made to Jacob. And so let's read verses 1 through 21. Again, we're reading large chunks of Scripture here in Genesis so that we can get the full picture. Genesis 31 and verses 1 through 21. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. 
And he said, Lift your eyes now, and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried them away, his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. After 20 years of service to his uncle Laban, God tells him it's time to return, and God had already promised that he would return, and that he would return prosperous and wealthy, and God has fulfilled those promises, and now God says it's time to return. We see Laban's continual greed, his selfishness, when we, we read last week about the pact that Jacob and Laban made concerning Jacob's wages. But every time God would bless and bring forth either the, the speckled or the gray or, or the spotted lambs or goats, then Laban would say, no, just, just the speckled. But when he changed the wages of Jacob that he had agreed to, then God blessed. And, and if, if uh, Laban said, well, you only get the speckled, well, then that's what God caused to be abundant among the sheep. And the same thing several times. Ten times he changed. This Laban is a dishonest man. And he saw how Jacob's wealth was growing. Now, Laban's, uh, Jacob was still taking care of Laban's flocks as well, and they were prospering, as we'll find out in the next passage. They were still prospering. He was doing well, and God had already blessed him because of those 14 years of service of, of Jacob. So Laban was a rich man, but enough was not enough. And so when he saw that Jacob's flock was prospering and he was getting wealthy, he tried to cheat him out of that wealth 10 times. But it says that God saw what Laban was doing and didn't allow it to prosper. Jacob's wealth was obtained legitimately, honestly, and by the blessing of God. And so Laban had nothing to be jealous about. He had nothing to accuse Jacob of. But now we see that his sons are actually whispering behind their back and saying that all of those flocks that are now Jacob's, they really should be our fathers. This is what Laban's sons were saying. And so Jacob stole those from our father. 
which, of course, was a false accusation. Whenever men give in to greed, it always leads to this kind of division and to these false accusations. And sadly, even among Christians, this can happen. When we don't judge our flesh, when we don't recognize those thoughts that are not of the Lord, that are not pleasing to him, that, are, that, are not, that, that shouldn't pertain to us as the children of God. Let's read in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, that we need to learn to recognize what is of that sinful flesh nature and what is of that new nature, that life of Christ that's in us. In Romans 13 and verse 11, we have this exhortation by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to Christians. So we know we shouldn't expect anything else from the world but selfishness and greed. That should not surprise you when the world tries to take advantage of you. That's just what they're going to do. It does hurt when, other, when fellow Christians do it. And I, over the years, I've seen so many Christians become bitter and angry because some other Christian treated them unjustly or cheated them in some business deal. And it's sad when that takes place, when it's so unnecessary for the child of God. In Romans 13, verse 11, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I know that's religious lingo, but what's it saying? It means to put off all of those attitudes and actions and, and motives that come from our sinful flesh, that have self as the center rather than Christ. And when Christ is the center of your heart, then you're also going to put others before you. But when we are walking in the flesh, when we're walking in those works of darkness, it's, all, it's going to be all about me, how I feel, what I want, how people treat me, poor me. Those are works of darkness. But then the armor of light is to put on the very virtues of Jesus Christ, his attitude, humility, integrity, honesty, love, always seeking that which is for God's glory and in the best interest of those around you. That's the difference between the works of darkness and the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. All of those things belong to the flesh, to that old sinful nature with which we were born, that we got from Adam. But when we were born again, when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we have a new nature. We have the very life of Christ within us, and we have to learn to yield to it because we still have the old nature. The Christian is the only creature that has two natures. The, the unbeliever, they have only the sinful nature of Adam. They can only do what is selfish and contrary to the will of God. But the Christian now has a choice. But we have to make that choice by faith. Verse 14, instead of walking in those works of darkness, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So we shouldn't fall into the trap that Laban did. He was blessed. He admitted he was blessed. He admitted he was blessed and rich and prosperous because God was using Jacob. But that wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. May we learn to be content with what we have. 
That doesn't mean that we won't have more. It doesn't mean that God won't prosper us in other ways. But are we content? Is our happiness, our peace, our joy found in knowing that God has given me today what I need today, and I'm satisfied with that? I'm content with what I have today, knowing that if I need something more tomorrow, he'll supply it. That's what it means to live by faith. Let's go to James 3, verses 13 to 18. We have this measuring stick, the Word of God, the Bible, that we can stand up against and see if our attitude and our actions and our relationships with others, whether they are of the flesh or whether they are of that new nature. And here in James 3, we're given a description of, you can tell the source of our actions, our words, and our attitudes. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Are you wise? Laban thought he was wise. He kept trying to trick Jacob. I'm going to get what I want by my wisdom, by his deceit. But it didn't work out. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. We see that in Jacob's experience, in Laban's attitude toward Jacob. We see that confusion, that self-seeking. But in verse 17, we have a different choice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Willing to yield. Now, this isn't talking about compromising truth. It's not talking about compromising what you believe. But it's being willing to give up what is in your best interest in order to supply what is necessary to bring about God's glory in a specific situation. Willing to yield. You don't always have to have your way. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. And without hypocrisy, this is true godly wisdom. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who seek peace. So in every situation, in every relationship, we need to examine ourselves in the light of these scriptures. It doesn't do any good for us to come and study the Bible and then to leave here and live however we want or think however we want or, or to have any attitude we think is justified. No, we need to allow the Word of God to judge us. And it's not always pleasant because, again, the flesh is there. And if we haven't learned to judge it, and what does it mean to judge it? It just means to recognize that's not what God wants for me as his child. I judge that. I recognize it. And so I need to leave that and then embrace what God says is the proper conduct for me as his child. Romans 12, 15. Laban should have looked at Jacob and how God was blessing him and and making him wealthy. Laban should have rejoiced with him. Laban had everything he needed. And now God was blessing Jacob personally and giving him his own family wealth. Laban should have been happy for Jacob, but he wasn't. And again, as Christians, often we look at others with envy rather than rejoicing. And so we have the proper attitude of the child of God that's walking by faith in Romans twelve fifteen. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Does that characterize you? A lot of times when another Christian is suffering a trial, and especially when it's a, a trial that, that they've created themselves because of some foolish choice, and now they're suffering, a lot of God's people gloat over that. There's nothing to gloat about. Even if you warn that person, you don't gloat, well, I told you so. No, you weep with them. Not in tolerance of their carnality, but in order to bring them back to a place of walking in the will of God. But sometimes that starts out with just learning to weep with them. And then rather than being jealous of those that are having blessings, that God is blessing them, whether it be financially or any other way, sometimes God's people get jealous of certain talents that others have or certain opportunities that they have. And, well, I should have that opportunity too. Jealousy is not proper for a child of God. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And so may we learn to recognize these things in our own life in the light of the Word of God. Laban, of course, knew nothing about overcoming his sinful flesh by looking to Jehovah in faith. And so this situation was inevitable, that there was going to be this kind of envy and jealousy. Jacob responds here with a mixture of faith but still a faith that needs to progress. Jehovah told him, it's time to go home. And by faith, Jacob obeyed. So that, that was a step of faith. That was a choice of faith. God told him what to do, and he obeyed. That's what faith is. How he chose to leave shows a lack of faith. Later on, we're going to read specifically that Jacob snuck away. Instead of going to Laban and saying, I've served my, my time. I've earned my wages honestly. We had a pact, and now it's time for me to leave. That would have been a proper way to leave. But Jacob, later on, he'll say, I left because I was afraid. Afraid that Laban would take away his wives, his flocks. Jacob should have known that God was going to protect him. God says it's time to leave. God will always make every provision. When he commands us to do something, he's always going to provide everything we need. We just have to take that next step of obedience. And so again, we see a faith that's continuing to mature. Jacob's faith wasn't perfect from beginning to end. It was a process. And we're still going to see some difficult lessons that he has to learn. We know that it wasn't God's will for him to leave, to sneak away, because God did not allow it to happen. He allowed, God allowed Laban to catch up, as we'll see, with Jacob. And so he shouldn't have tried to just run away and hide because he was afraid. He should have trusted the Lord. It's always important for us to seek and to know and to obey the will of God, but we must also learn God's time and God's way. Sometimes God will put something on your heart to do a decision that needs to be made. You've prayed about it, you read, and you really feel led of the Holy Spirit to make a certain decision. That doesn't always mean that it's a decision that has to be done right now. Once you find the mind of the Lord, you still have to depend on him for how to, for, to execute that decision. And this is what Jacob had to learn. We see that Jacob took time to consult his wives and husbands. That's an important lesson for us to learn as well. He explained to them the reasons why he was leaving. He gave them an opportunity to respond. What do you think? 
and his his wives made the right had the right response do what god has told you to do and that that's an important lesson for for married couples to learn this is how the family functions everyone is to seek the mind of the lord together the husband has the final responsibility to make the final decision but if you make that apart from consulting and giving the wife the opportunity you're making a big mistake jacob could have just taken his family, taken his wives, but they would not have been willing participants at that point. They were simply been captives, and, and Laban will pretty much say that later on. We would avoid a lot of strife and hostility in the home if every family functioned this way, with a husband and a wife that love the Lord first and foremost. That's the only way that a marriage is truly going to prosper, is if there is both a husband and wife who's Priority above everything and everyone else is to be pleasing to the Lord. That's the only way it works. And then each one has their responsibilities, God-ordained responsibilities in that marriage. The world doesn't want to hear about those roles that God has ordained for the husband and for the wife. But we simply take God at his word. He has given specific roles. And we see that it was functioning properly here in this situation in Jacob's life. 1 Peter 3, 7. Here we have New Testament doctrinal statement and teaching for us in this church age. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them, that is, with their wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So here, again, we have... Some clear statements, spiritually speaking, men and women are equal in the Lord. There, there's no inferiority between men and women when it comes to spiritual things. In the natural, physically, the reference here is to a physical weakness, generally speaking, among women being the weaker vessel. doesn't mean they're inferior, but it's just a different role that they are to play in life. And in the marriage. But before God, they're equals. And in the marriage, they're partners. Husbands are to dwell with their wife with understanding. That is, it means to know them by way of inquiry and, and conversation. And in my booklet on God's plan for the family, I emphasize this, that this is something that God requires of husbands, to take time to know your wife, her needs, her emotions, Understand to know, to inquire, not to ignore, not to write off. And so if God's people would just pay attention to these very clear, wise instructions in Scripture, there would be more sound marriages among Christians. And yet, sadly, there are many dysfunctional and destroyed families among Christians because they've ignored these instructions. When Jacob inquired about Rachel and Leah's opinion on on what was taking place here they agreed with Jacob Laban had been unfair not only in the his treatment of Jacob but of his own daughters and so they agreed that Jacob was justified in leaving and whatever God had led him to do that's what he should do in this 31st chapter before we're done with it we'll have to close here in a little bit but it becomes very clear that Jacob understood that God had been the one that protected him and prospered him. 
despite all of Laban's schemes. Jacob recognized, again, this is, we see his faith here. Jacob knew that it was God who protected him. It was God who prospered him. We'll see that Jacob had a dream and that God spoke to him about how he was going to prosper his flock, how the speckled and the grayed and the streaked were going to be the ones that multiplied. God showed him that he was going to do that. We don't know exactly when that God spoke to Jacob. It could have been at the beginning of this last six-year period, and that's why Jacob did what he did with the, the strip sticks in the, in the water. could have been sometime during that six years. It could have even been at the end of the six years. We don't know, but the point is it was God. God was the one who prospered him. In verse 7, we read that Laban deceived Jacob, changed his wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Now, you have to take that in context because God allowed Laban to change his wages. You'd say, well, that he hurt me, but not ultimately. Ultimately, what God had promised Jacob, that he would go back to Isaac with wealth and a family, God fulfilled his word. God allowed some injustice to be suffered, but they didn't overthrow God's plan. The point is the same with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean that there won't be those against us. There will be. But who can successfully be against us? Who can overthrow God's plans for our lives? What a wonderful peace of mind for the child of God. When we live in this Christ-rejecting world and it treats us the way it treats us and people mistreat us, our peace is God sees. God knows. And his promise to me hasn't changed. All things are working together for my good, my eternal good. These things are working for me, not against me. Now, in the moment, it appears like it's all against me, but it's not going to change God's promise to me. That's the peace that we can have. Let's close with Isaiah 54. Nothing should be able to rob us of our joy. God told Jacob, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God sees when you're suffering. God sees when you're being mistreated. Leave it with him. He'll take care of it. Trust him. We have this promise in Isaiah 54 and verse 17. Verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. It doesn't say that there won't be any weapon used against you. It says it won't prosper. It won't do any real, lasting, eternal harm. It won't annul God's promises to you. When we come to the New Testament, we know clearly we are promised that we have an enemy that will use weapons against us, who will attack us, who will throw fiery darts. But it's that shield of faith that quenches those darts. The impact of them, we still feel. Sometimes the impact of those darts can knock us backward, but they can't do us any real harm. They can't change God's promises to us if we'll look to him in faith. And so these experiences of Jacob, they're not just Sunday school stories. They're life lessons for us if we'll learn them, what it means to live by faith. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my father, and I can rejoice in that. Well, let's stand. We'll be dismissed this evening.